0: listener production. Hello again and welcome back to another Ripper episode of That's Enough Already with Ursula Carlson. Urs is still sick today so you've got me again, producer Nat. And this week we're sharing an episode that's so funny it deserved two. There's a heck of a lot more laughs to be had in this episode when Erz shares her recent encounter with the police, and why Will just can't use car horns correctly, and it absolutely shits him. So enjoy the finale. This is part two with Will Anderson, but that's enough already. Shh,
1: that's quite enough, oh, just, just shut it. your mouth, I don't oh, give a stop, it's for it. Already. Shush, please, uh, yes uh, I can uh, hear, down, but right. I don't care, that's sin.
2: Oh, shush. This is my theory on any television show or anything. I never prep. I don't want to know anything that goes on in any of the shows. I don't. Even if I get to do a new show, like, say, I get to do a show in another, say, for instance, QI, and I go, mm. I've never seen QI, and they go, we'll send you a link, and I go, mm, thanks, but I won't watch it because I think <laughs> the com- the comedy brain <laughs> wants to act under pressure. You know, you want to come up with something on the fly. I think what is the difference, me knowing what's going to happen and reacting slower on the night? You treat
1: every opportunity like you're on the TV show. Thank God you're here. You're just like, I don't know what this is. I'm here. I'll adapt as we go on and see what happens.
2: The first time I ever did stand-up or ever went to a stand-up comedy show was the first time I ever did stand-up. I'd never watched stand-up. I'd never been to a show. I had no idea. So when friends said, you sh- you're funny, you should go do stand-up, they booked it in and I just, uh, they said, it's five minutes, I have to write five minutes. So I wrote some jokes that I thought was funny, just story things, and then I read it out and it was four minutes and I thought, that's long enough, I'd give them a minute to mm. laugh. Yep. So <laughs> arrogant.
0: So
1: <laughs> <laughs> I assume at least 20% of this will be laughter. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: of course.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're not knowing that under <laughs> intense pressure and adrenaline,
1: I'm going to read that form in 30 seconds. Anyway. Yeah. And over the top of any laughs that are happening. So you don't actually yeah. have to count it know. as extra time. It's concurrent time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't know any of that, did I?
2: So, <laughs> so, so the first year was tough, but I, I learned so much in that, yeah. you know. And it was just um, – Yeah, it was just crazy. So I think that sort of has worked for me, not the unknown, because I think my brain wants to fill it, fill that space and wants to fill that space with funny shit. Like Easter Monday, I got pulled over by the cops. I had just left Narrawara and I was going 101 kilometres an hour, but I had bought the kids um, these dinosaur masks that – you put it over your face and then it's just got an elastic and as you talk it looks like the dinosaur mask oh, yeah. is talking, sure. you know. It's just plastic and elastic. It's probably the thing that's going to sink the earth. But oh, um, if,
1: if, if that's the thing, like, I mean, I'm of okay all the things this. that are happening, if that's yeah. the thing, if yeah. that is the one that tips us right over the edge, then <laughs> yeah, not then. on you, to be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like.
2: But anyway, so my six-year-old play with it for a bit and then put it in the back, you know, on the back bit there by the back window in the car, yes. right? Uh, But in the back of the car was the six-year-old, his sister, and then my mother-in-law in in the middle of the two baby seats or booster seats, and then in the front, myself and my bestie. So we're driving. And then I get pulled over by the cops. So this lady police officer walks up Mm. and I can check her in the mirror walking up and I'm like, you know, it's a tense situation when you get pulled over and you're like. um, And then she comes right up to the window and she has obviously seen the dinosaur Mask in the back and she just pops her head in and the first thing she says to me is, what's up with the dinosaur in the back? And I just looked at her and I go, that is my mother-in-law. How dare you? (laughs) Cack, like we laughed so hard. The setup was so perfect because it was tense. So that kind of sums up where if you're in a precious situation, you're going to come up with funny shit. Right. But also if you look like George Garland, Robin Williams, um, Jim Gaffigan, even Joan Rivers, if you look at their material, if you just had to read that in an essay, you go, okay, this is a fucking maniac that wrote some shit down but it's in the delivery, (laughs) right? Like it all comes down to the delivery and the chemistry between you and the audience.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's meant to be about that idea that, you know, hopefully you connect with why I'm angry about this or why it's my perspective. But do you ever have something that, despite how many times you've done it now, where you're like, this is definitely like hilarious and I find this hilarious, that doesn't, translate, yeah. do you ever have that moment still where it surprises you?
2: Yes, 100%. I just mm. did a thing about drag queens grooming children mm. and I'm like, drag queens don't groom, they stylize. Grooming is, <laughs> is a straight people's sport. Like we don't, gays <laughs> <guys> don't groom. Hey, <laughs> But do you ever get one of those things, those jokes where you go, I know this is funny, I don't know how to tell you yet. Yes. And it's just sort of in the delivery or in the, even if you just scooch, the start to the middle in the middle, you know, sometimes it's just simple like that or you need to change a number. Like I didn't realise when I started doing com- comedy how some numbers are just funnier than others. Like seven yes. is funnier than four. You don't know why but people will laugh when you go, you've got seven <laughs> children in the back. Where well, if you go, four <laughs> children in the back, they go, yes, and Yeah,
1: it's not quite comical <laughs> enough, <laughs> is it? <laughs> But that's one of my favourite things is also just like sometimes just finding that word or that one phrase to describe something that just unlocks it. Like, there, you know, where you're just like, ah, there it is. Like sometimes that moment where... You like you said, you know something's funny, or you know an idea is worth talking about, or you know that there's something unique in the way that you're getting people to look at something. But you haven't in you 70% of the way there, or 80% of the way there, and just that night when you unlock it, and you're like, oh yeah, no, that's exactly how it should have gone the entire time. (laughs) Got this like story about the first time I went out to like after the pandemic. So it's quite this like going to see Kendrick Lamar, and I tell this whole like story of this is the first time that I go out, and you know I'm the only person wearing a mask and the twist is that I'm wearing a mask because I'm older than everybody at the show. Like it it leads to a whole other thing but like that's basically was the original premise. But there was this one line where I said that I lied to this like other woman who was like the next oldest person and told her that I had, you know, I'd brought my kids to the show (laughs) and now it's become like – honestly three minutes about how well I treat my imaginary children like that's the bit now which is <laughs> like, like the throw away and yeah. then you're just like no this is the bit that everyone is enjoying the most I'm enjoying the most yeah. like these imaginary children and how well I treat them and the things I take them to and all yeah. this and then like the whole point of the bit it's almost like a letdown when I actually get to what the <laughs> point of the bit is after this like yeah. thing that just I was like I, I don't know where it came from but it's like my favorite bit in the show
2: but that's the, that's the little joys that mm. the shows give. It's like I would never want to look at the sound guy and see boredom in his eyes or, mm. like, he just hopes he can go on his phone but he can't because everyone can see him kind of situation. I never want to see that. I want to I wanna come up with new shit, just little bits every night where afterwards they go, that bit that you did there, and I'm like, yes, he was paying attention. Like, that's the little treats. That's our little payoffs. Yeah, I mean, we get the laughter and all of that, but those little, that's the little treats. (laughs) It's funny that you
1: say that because I literally had the other night, so the theatre I play, literally I've played that same theatre for 13 or 14 years, and so... The feedback I respect the most of any feedback I get during the festival is what the people who've worked there for all those years think of the show. 100%. Because so, like, I'm like, you didn't, like, you're paid to be here. Yeah. You're here against your will technically. Like, I mean, 100%. you know, two months ago you were seeing 90 people on stage doing Come From Away. Like, tonight you just seeing me yell about Roald Dahl. <laughs> and like, so your feedback I, I value. 100 100 <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm the same. I'm like, and oh, if the ushers say something, if the ushers yeah. talk to me after the show, I'm like, hi. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, can I have a photo with you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, can I ask you, are your yes. friends made up mainly of comedians or normies?
1: Definitely I have a lot of friends in comedy, lifelong friends in comedy, and I, that's yeah. why I love festivals It's like going to – like, you know, having those conversations with people that you can't have those conversations with anybody else. No, but I reckon true. about half and half. What is it yeah. for you? Yeah, I,
2: I think it's about half and half, or maybe, yeah, no, it's about half and half, I reckon, because mm. it's ch- like, like you say, there's no one. They can understand a comedian quite like another comedian because we just have a darker sense of humour, and I almost feel like I have to apologise to my friends when I come back from tour because then I'm oh. sort of still a bit wild. That two three days after, and I'll say you know something. that thing when
1: you've been talking yeah, you've been talking to comedians only, yeah, and then you take that level of conversation into a scenario that isn't it, quite that level. It's <laughs> a, an
2: just if you suddenly find yourself back in the dating game, you can't. It's impossible. Like, oh my god, it's you. Just, it's so hard because people just go, "Why would you say that?" And I'm like, "Oh mm. no, uh, that's oh. Twist speak. Yeah, but the fact yeah. that it would live in your head, I'm like, "Oh no, there's much darker that lives in there." I'm only <laughs> that, letting out the grayscale stuff you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's your life. You don't oh even know god. the overprint black stuff that's in there. That's <laughs> this is this is hardcore. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my
1: god! Oh man!
2: Hey, have I ever told you that Russell, that's on the Gruen with you? So for those playing, Russell Howcroft. Yeah, that's playing the home game. Um, Will of course is uh, host the Gruen transfer, um, and so Russell used to be my boss. Like long before comedy, long before I started doing comedy, In advertising. Yeah, he was the CEO of y and he would fly over occasionally to New Zealand and we'd all have to tidy up our desks and make sure the timesheets are done because Russell's coming, <laughs> you know. And then we'd all go sit in the, in the lunchroom bar area, everyone with a Heineken drink slowly, you're not fucking getting pissed while Russell's here. And we will all just be sipping our Heineken's <laughs> and he'd come in and do like a little motivational speech, basically the equivalent of him climbing Everest. And then we're all like, as soon as he leaves, like, oh, thank fuck he's gone. And then we get on the piss, but...
1: Yeah, he would come. He would come once a month, I reckon. That's so funny. I mean, the advertising industry does seem like one of those ones, though. From the conversations I hear backstage, where like for people outside the industry, they probably don't know this, but if like an advertising agency has a big client, like yeah. so, there might be one one or two big clients that really are employing half of the people 100%. who work there in some form. So if you lose that client, they just and seem to be like one day an agency will be 30 people, the next day it's 120 people and then three months later it's like eight people. And you're like, yeah. what happened? Yeah, what no, just went on?
2: This is what I don't – like when we lose a client, say, so I worked for Ogilvy in New Zealand too. We lose a client, a big client, right, mm-hmm. say Rebel Sport or the Briscoe Group, they go over – and sign up with Yr So now Y&R won the pitch, but they don't have the staff because they were still on eight people. Now they come and get all of us that used to work on the account. We now still working on the account. So yep. at Rebel Sports like, well, we change <laughs> agencies. It's all going to be fresh in here. Yep. And I'm like, no, bitch, it's still Just exactly me. all of us. It's you, all us. you basically have a different <laughs> HR department. <laughs> charge
1: is reception and HR. <laughs> you are now at YNHR. This is our new company.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I always loved it. And then the first time the client comes for a visit and they sort of look at all of us and we're all like, yeah, yes, I see. It's the last, bitch. And then you can see
1: this are So the last job that I had, um, uh, so I was working at the Herald Weekly Times here in Melbourne and uh, um Ba- basically what I was doing because I I had a journalism degree and I quit journalism I'd been working in the camera press gallery to come to Melbourne and do stand up comedy yeah. but of course as you know like doesn't pay that well in the first couple of years so I'd burnt through all the money that I had saved and I needed to get another job again so I got this job writing um uh, well, selling advertising and writing advertorial copy for the Herald and Weekly Times. So the Weekly Times is their like farm magazine, their country magazine, their sort of rural newspaper, I guess that they would. Yeah. So occasionally like some big tractor company or like, you know, landscaping company or whatever would buy a double page and they'd need to have a bit of advertorial copy that ran next to, yeah. that felt like journalism, but definitely was advertising. And yeah. So that was basically my role. It was I was no good at selling stuff. I would have been terrible, like, you know, pursuing that as a long-term career. But I had one of those bosses that just – I don't know what was going through his mind because I was contributing nothing. Like, (laughs) it was clear. It was demonstrable how little I was doing in the office. I would often pretend I was going out to, like, find a client or do an interview and just go to the movies. I-, I wouldn't even leave the city. I wouldn't even get in my car. I wouldn't get my car out of the car park. I would just wander <laughs> down the street and I would go and see a movie and then I would go <laughs> back to the office. And I still do... To- of popcorn. <laughs> still to this day cannot, like... Believe that I quit that job. Yeah. Like, I was just like, what do I need to do to get fired from this job? Like, one day I just had to go in and say, I'm leaving. I quit. <laughs> you are going to notice productivity goes up just from having me not here. Yeah. You won't need to replace me. I'm doing nothing. You're coping <laughs> fine without me. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah.
2: I think we all have jobs like that. But I was so that really set me up. And then comedy just kind of, you know, I yeah,
1: mean, yeah, over.
2: you know, everyone has sort of those baked bean months, you know, where you go, we're going to have a lot of toast and baked beans this month. But,
1: yeah. but you know, you never know. Might go to, back to baked bean months at some hey, stage. Hey, we are all one bad tweet away. Exactly. From and- fucking going back to the baked bean days. And as Jimmy Carr often says, the thing you're going to get cancelled for you probably already said. So 100%.
2: So you tweeted that not, in 2009. Yeah, it's
1: it's not in your future, it's in your past. That's Someone I, hasn't found it yet. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But there has been stuff. There has been stuff that I've gotten in trouble.
1: But with. of course, but also because the times have changed. There are things that I said in the past that I would not say today. Mate, I'm like a stand-up comedian. I'm not a, like a futurist. Yeah, like, yeah. There might yeah. be something in my show right now that is really offensive in ten years from now. Yeah. Like I think that sometimes with eating meat, it seems to be the one that. So I don't eat meat, but like I, but. Eating meat feels like one of those things that, say, 50 years from now or 70 yeah. years or 100 years from now, people might look back on and go, you ate meat or you were proud of eating meat. Yeah. Like, But you don't know what it is. It might not no. be eating meat. It might be like like if you don't know at the time, like it's very hard to then get in a time machine and go, you should have known 10 years ago what the correct yeah. term was to use in this yeah. situation. <laughs>
2: I will – let me ask you something. What is the thing about other people that shit you to absolute death?
1: Mm, Interesting. Um, Okay, so I think for me it's got to be people who think that everything was better in the olden days. Like it's my one hate in life. Anyone who – like whose entire shtick is being a reactionary. Like I feel like the easiest job in media is being – like And there is part of me sometimes that is so tempted to just make that turn, to do the, you know, the Joe Rogan switch, the Russell Brand rebranding, the Steve Price of Australia where you just be the grumpy curmudgeon who sits on the end of a panel because it's the easiest job in the entire world. Yeah. You don't have to prepare. All you have to do is listen grumble. to what everybody else says and then just grumble that that's not good or yeah. things were better in the older days. And okay. so that's my... That's my pet hate. I think.
2: Yeah, I I have to um, as an immigrant. I have very close friends who will only shop at South African shops and buy South African spices, South African tomatoes, or South African mayonnaise. I'm like, why the fuck did you move? Just go back there. Now you're paying four times for fucking egg and olive oil in a jar. You know, like just go back. Stop with the shit. Like you know, like yeah, I I buy the occasional like if I see oh these spices are good from South Africa. Yeah. But you know, most of those are stocked in my local yeah. shop.
1: Or- but South African mayonnaise is the best because, like, they're experts in being able to separate the whites. So, so good, so good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah,
2: see, that's the dinosaur in the back. It just got you. Why would you write a show? Just fucking get on stage, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, it never, it almost always splits with us. You can always see the big divide between the oil and the egg. Oh, man. Right. What, what's the thing about you that shoots you to death?
1: Uh, I am a, a, like this. Is, So I'm a reluctant horn user. So we were talking about driving earlier and I I think that I'd love to be able to assert myself more in traffic situations but I doubt my own like I, I feel like the horn is too open to interpretation. Like we're not clear enough about like we, we've got a one horn fits all policy yeah. that I do not think like there's too fine a line to me between like sometimes somebody's like, you know, in say in a left-hand turn lane there's a little arrow, they haven't seen the arrow for whatever reason, they're in front of you and all you want to communicate to that person is a little like, hey, the okay. arrow's changed. Hey, yeah. I'm cool. Being a good, I'm just, you might not have noticed. <laughs> hey, hey. And every time I try to use the horn it always comes as off as <laughs> like, fuck. fuck you, fuck you. Move God. Why? We spend so much time teaching people how to drive and yet we spend none of that time on running us through how hard or soft to hit the horn in that situation. And, again, it's like a bye-bye thing. You know, the bye-bye horn, the little bye-bye, like cannot master that. Every single person I've ever tried to say goodbye to in a car thinks that I've just driven off going fuck you or (laughs) silent. Because I go too far one way or the other. The amount of times I've driven away from family trying to give them a bye-bye wave and then just gone the other way and just tapped my horn, no noises come out, and I've just gone, that'll do. I'm out of (laughs) here. That'll
2: do. (laughs) What do you drive?
1: Uh, so uh, I, I, how's this? So I used to have a um, a vintage car. I had a 1967 um, Ford Mustang. It was a beautiful car. It got stolen. Yeah. And um, I rang the police, true story, I rang the police and I said, hey, my car got stolen, what should I do? And this is literally what the Australian policeman said to me. He said, mate, you're going to have to buy a new car. <laughs> And I was like, is there not something between those two steps that the police get involved in? I was always under the impression that you might look for it or something. Do you want a description, some clues, anything where it was? Um, but so I didn't have a car for about 10 years. I drive a um an Audi, like a like an Audi sort of like it's a one of those, not a four-wheel drive, but a thing that looks like an SUV, I guess uh, they call it, right? Yeah. And but apparently I was in the city the other day. And so I'm in like I'm in the left-hand lane. I but there's a right-hand lane as well of traffic both going in the same direction. So we're stopped at the lights. So if you can imagine I'm the first car where the lights are, there is like a car next to me on the right-hand side that's also going to go through that lights. One back behind them is a taxi cab. So this taxi cab in my rearview mirror, I can see this taxi cab trying to get my attention and I'm thinking, oh, maybe my tire's flat or something, you know. Like So okay. I wind down my window and he has wound down the passenger side window so that he can shout at me through the window to my car and he shouts this at me. He goes, people who drive your car are the worst drivers on the road. Like, <laughs> so just a, just a random piece of feedback from this. Ta- I hadn't done anything to cut him off. I yeah. was, it was slightly undermined by the fact that I was eating a chocolate paddle pop at the same time, when I, <laughs> like when it did undermine my, my, I wanted to like, why. <laughs> But I had my paddle pop, so I couldn't really get angry well, at Well, so you him. can't get too aggressive
2: when you have a paddle pop.
1: <laughs> but it undermines any authority you might have in that situation is the fact that you have to put down your paddle pop to make a point. <laughs> but, like, the I, I hadn't cut him off. I hadn't done anything. The fact that he literally had just identified my car. Apparently other people who drive the same car are not good drivers. But the greatest irony of this story is that he had distracted me so much, the lights changed and I missed the lights. (laughs) And then he just looks at me like, I told you. And I was like, (laughs) not I told you. That's entrapment. This is on you. You made me do this. I was ready to go. (laughs) And now I've got someone beeping, fuck you behind me. Maybe it's <laughs> polite, but I can't tell. <laughs> that can't sit you up. Maybe I am a, 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 well, of course I am a dickhead. Like, I'm a professional dickhead. Like, uh, so you, you might be right. But the idea that you could have a 100% strike rate with any demographic yeah. of people, like, I mean, I think if, like if only dickheads bought Audis or all dickheads bought Audis, then you – as someone who's worked in advertising – they would be super aware of that. Like, yeah. you'd be in a meeting. They'd be like, "We've done some research. We've identified we've got a hundred percent straight rate with dickheads. All our advertising yeah. is now going to go entirely to dickheads. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. why are we We're wasting why are we wasting time advertising to people who aren't dickheads when it's only yeah. dickheads who buy our car? Yeah, let's just start a magazine.
2: Dickheads yeah. are us, and just right. advertise to them. it full, full up. of
1: other dickhead stuff, and put a few Audi ads in. Yeah. Perfect. Put Job some
2: done. Some in there. <laughs>
1: else the dickheads like? Yeah, we can fill it's full of it.
2: <laughs> Margarine. <laughs> oh my god! I will. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I've had such a good time. I'm glad Me we too. asked you for a conversation starter. Otherwise, Thank we'd you. Never we didn't get, get to anything, those unfortunately. Honestly, but unfortunately, but we'll save those. <laughs> the
0: next
1: time. Maybe on your podcast. Yeah.
0: And that's a wrap for this week's double episode with Will Anderson. If you liked this episode, you'll love our back catalogue. I really don't know if I can pick just one as my favorite episode, but if I did have to choose, I'd probably say Luke McGregor. I mean, there was a lot of chat about adult nappies, but you will have to listen to find out the context for that. <laughs> or the episode with Sarah Milliken is iconic. Ursula shares a story about her, a plane and a pair of underwear. Just head to wherever you get your podcasts and search That's Enough already. But we'll catch you next Monday for a fresh new episode. See ya.